0: successful Christian living, I think the most miserable people in church are the people who are trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, but when you come to the place of full surrender and all is on the altar, what peace, what joy, what satisfaction, what fulfillment. I want God to have all of me, and to the best of my knowledge, he has all of me tonight. Amen. Thank God for his presence here this evening, wonderful music and the testimony, and I thank God for what I feel in my heart tonight, and thank you for being here. It is good to have some friends of ours, all of you are our friends, but some of you we've only met. Just today or yesterday, but it's good to have the Bells here tonight and known them for a number of years and others who are here uh, that we know, and thank you for coming. Ephesians chapter 3. Please turn there, Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to read Paul's prayer for the Ephesians found beginning in verse 14 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by listening to them pray. You can tell... Usually, you can tell pretty quickly what they're passionate about, what they care about, what matters to them. Sometimes you can tell if they pray privately by how they pray publicly. Not always. But you can tell what burdens Paul by the prayer that we read from him tonight in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word tonight? If you're there, Ephesians 3.14, would you say amen? Paul writes, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I should stop here long enough to say that Paul here is not teaching the universal fatherhood of God when he says the whole family uh, of God. Uh, you've heard it said, we're all God's children. But that's not true. We're all God's creation. But only those who have accepted Jesus by faith are God's children. So Paul isn't teaching the universal fatherhood of God. What he's saying is all of the family of God, those that have died and are in heaven, and those who are alive and still remain on the earth, he's praying with them in mind that, here's his prayer, verse 16, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And here is why, here is what Paul prays for the Spirit's strength. Verse 17, number one, he prays that the Spirit would strengthen us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Secondly, he prays that you would be strengthened so that you might be able, that you would have the strength, other versions say, to comprehend With all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height? What's he talking about? Well, he tells you in the next verse, the love of Christ. And then the third request that Paul makes, that the Spirit would strengthen these Ephesian readers so that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him, Paul prays, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. Notice he doesn't pray that God is able to do all that we ask or think. He doesn't pray that God is able to do above all. He doesn't pray that God is able to do abundantly above all, but that God is able to do exceeding Way far beyond, abundantly, above all. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. What a prayer. You may be seated. Please keep your Bibles open tonight. We'll be in the word tonight throughout the remaining part of the sermon. If we're going to understand Paul's prayer for these Ephesian readers, we must notice where it actually starts. You might say, well, doesn't it start where we started? Verse 14 or verse 16. And at first glance, that's where it appears to start. But upon further investigation, it is not readily apparent where Paul begins praying. Look at the first three words of verse uh, 14. What are they? Someone tell me what they are. For this cause. So Paul evidently has already said something that is the basis for his prayer. Well, so what did he say right before this? Well, if you look at the verses right before verse 14, you find out pretty quickly that That's not what Paul's talking about, because if you read far enough back, all the way back to verse 2, what you find out is that the verses from 2 to verse 13, all of those verses is one long parenthetical statement that the Apostle Paul loves to write. If You read Paul at all, you know that under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul takes these Spirit-inspired detours, and sometimes he will go on and on and on, as he does here for 12 verses, and that whole parenthesis is Paul saying that God has chosen him to be an apostle in these last days to show the mystery which has been hidden from before time. And that mystery is that God has always desired for Gentiles to be a part of his redemptive purpose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have to go back further than that. Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. What are the first three words there? Ah, that's where Paul began his prayer. Paul begins this prayer in verse 1 of chapter 3 for this cause. He goes on this long parenthetical sentence all the way down to verse 14 where he picks his prayer back up again for this cause, which means the reason for Paul's prayer is found in the last part of chapter 2. Verse 19, Paul says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And I want you to notice from here on through the end of the chapter, all of the building uh, terminology and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So let's understand this. Whereas Paul in chapters 1 and 2 especially has been talking about all of the wealth and power and fullness that believers have when they are in Christ, now he changes the emphasis In the last part of chapter 2, no longer is he talking about believers being in Christ, but now he is saying that God is building you to be a temple, a house, a habitation in which God wants to come and dwell. And it's for that reason that Paul prays the prayer we just read tonight. Because we are a house. For Jesus to dwell in, verse 16, Paul prays this prayer, that the Holy Spirit would do a work of strengthening within us. That the power of the Holy Spirit would enable us, where? In the inner man. What's that mean? Well, the inner man means that spiritual part of our being. You can't see it. But it's the part of us that truly is us. It is that God-breathed part of us. Genesis tells us that when God created man, He breathed into man, and man became a living soul. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in that very part of who we are. In fact, that is the real us. We aren't a body. We have a body. We are a spirit. And Paul is praying that God would do something in the profound depth of our spiritual being. This is not an exterior paint job Paul is praying about. Not talking about fixing up the outside. This is a profound work that happens in the depths of our spiritual identity where the Holy Spirit is active in the believer from the very beginning. Some people preach and teach as though the Holy Spirit isn't involved very much in the believer's life until later on. But listen, the Holy Spirit is involved from the very beginning. In fact, from before the beginning, the Holy Spirit was involved. In fact, the Holy Spirit was all over our sister's testimony tonight. Because... The reason she came to church that morning was because the Holy Spirit, whether she knew it or not, the Holy Spirit was drawing her. And the reason, all of a sudden, for some reason, her her attitude changed between the first time her husband asked and the second time is the work of the Holy Spirit. The only reason you came to Jesus is because you knew you needed Jesus. And the only reason you know you needed Jesus was because the Holy Spirit was waking you up to that need. And so the Holy Spirit is a part of our life from before the very beginning and and He indwells every believer. So, Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in the inner man. That part of us that, that makes us who we are before God. The part of us that one day will stand before God to be judged. That part of us. I, uh, I know that many of you probably don't know my dad, but in the little subculture that we come from, uh, dad's well-known, and everybody in our circles knows him. He's a prominent figure, he's been a leader for decades, uh, he's well-loved and respected, and for the first few years of my life, uh, I was known as Brother Sankey's son. If I went somewhere and told everyone who I was, they would say, oh, are you Brother Sankey's son? And uh, if I was being introduced by someone, they would say, well, you know, Brother Sankey, this is his son. The first 20 years of my life, I didn't know my name was Mark because I was just called Brother Sankey's son. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I love my dad. He's got a great reputation and he's earned it. But I told Melody when when we started dating and then when we were married, I like when you call me Mark. I like when anyone calls me Mark. Someone said tonight or last night, is is it Mark or is it Brother Sankey? And I said, Brother Sankey's my dad. I'm Mark. I was at a camp meeting in Pennsylvania years ago. And uh, I was preaching to some brand new converts. They they hadn't been a part of our circles ever. They didn't know my dad from Adam. But at the camp meeting there, they introduced me as Brother Sankey. And then a few months later, my dad happened to be out in that area. And some of those new converts came to him and said, hey, are you Brother Sankey's dad? I said, dad, how's that feel? Let me say it like this. The Holy Spirit wants to strengthen Mark. That's me. The spiritual identity of each of us. That's where Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would do His work of strengthening and enablement. And and Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would do a work of strengthening so that Christ would do something in us. Well, what is it? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, if you're thinking, you may have a question. At least I do. Because who's Paul talking to? He's talking to believers. We know this because in chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15, Paul talks about them, who he's writing to, as those who have believed the gospel of their salvation and that their faith is is being spoken about all over the world. So Paul is speaking to believers. And don't believers already have Christ dwelling in them? Yeah. So why is Paul praying then for believers that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them in their spiritual man so that Christ would dwell in their hearts? Well, the answer is found in that word dwell. If you're like me and like to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word, underline it, highlight it, whatever you do, because it is the key word To understand Paul's prayer. That word dwell does not mean to come for a visit. It doesn't mean to reside as a guest. That word that Paul uses, dwell, it means to inhabit permanently. It means to settle down in. Anyone have a a nice, cushy, pillowy, Recliner at home, and after that legendary Sunday dinner, you collapse into that recliner and you just kind of settle down into it. That's the idea. Paul's praying that Christ would be able to settle down. And the foundation, the foundational meaning of that word, is to make oneself at home. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen these believers so that they would be able to allow Christ to dwell. Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in these believers' hearts. Listen, in a way that He has not dwelled up to this point in their walk with the Lord. He wants Christ now to dwell permanently, to settle down in, to make himself at home. How many of you have heard Revelations 3.20 preached as a salvation text? Someone may say, well, what's Revelations 3.20? Well, it's the words of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear me, hear my voice and open up to me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. How many have heard that preached as a salvation text? I have all my life. In fact, I probably preached it that way early on. The only problem is that's not a salvation text. You know how I know? Because of who who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the church. Now, admittedly, it's a church that needs a lot of help. But that's what he's addressing. He's giving the Laodicean believers the answer to their problem. He's saying, behold, I stand at your door and knock. Who says the door has to be on the outside? you got plenty of doors inside your house. Christ is inside and he's knocking on a door because he wants deeper, more intimate fellowship. And we know that's what Christ is after in Revelation 3.20 because He says, I want to come in and eat together. In the Scriptures, that always means intimate fellowship. So Jesus is saying to the Laodicean Christians, what you need is to allow Me to come in and dwell in you in a deeper, more profound, more intimate way than you have allowed Me to up to this point in your relationship with me. Jesus is wanting to dwell in the believer's heart in a more intimate way than He has. He wants to make Himself at home, but the believer, evidently, according to Paul, must be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. This is something that we can't do on our own. The Holy Spirit must enable us so that Jesus is comfortable at home in our hearts. You see, now it's no longer about our comfort. It's no longer about our convenience. It's no longer about how we feel. What matters is, is Christ comfortable with the attitudes and affections and appetites of my heart? Can Christ settle down in and relax and be at home? with all of the desires and priorities and thoughts that emanate from my heart. That's really what's at stake here. Paul is praying that Jesus would be allowed to make Himself at home in these believers' hearts. Now many of us here have had house guests at one time or another. And for the sake of the illustration, let's just say that Someone who you love and someone who you're close to has come to visit you. You're so glad that you're so glad that they're in your house. Maybe mom or dad, son or daughter, or maybe the grandkids. Have I told you about our little grandbaby? Talk to us after the service. I've got two or three thousand pictures on my phone. I'd like to show you of little Mason Lewis. But it's someone that you love. They love you. There's not anything wrong with your relationship. You're, you, everything's great. And they come and they're going to stay with you for a while and you welcome them in and somewhere at the very beginning, we've all said something like this. Now, we're so glad you're here. We want you to make yourself at home, right? So let's suppose that a few days into the visit, you have to go out and run some errands. You leave your guest in the house and when you come back, you walk into the kitchen door and put your car keys on the counter and call their name No one answers. And so you walk into the dining room and look around and then into the living room and and call their name again and they're nowhere to be found. And so you start walking back the hallway to your bedroom. The door is closed. And when you open up the door to your horror, there they are standing at your dresser with all of the drawers pulled out, rifling through all of your personal belongings. This is rifling. And you say, wait a minute. Hey, what are you doing? Right? Wouldn't you say that? Something like that. Maybe stronger. But... And they would say to you, well, you said to make myself at home. So I thought I'd come back here and see what you have in these drawers. And you would say, and you'd have every right to, right? You'd have to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I didn't mean you could come back here to my bed. And please don't open the hall closet door. Right? Because while we are so happy that they are in our home, we're not ready to give them uncontested access to every room in our house. And may I share with you tonight what you probably already know If you walk with the Lord Jesus long enough, it won't be long until He starts trying doorknobs in your house. Can I come in here? And sometimes He won't even ask permission. He'll just walk into a room. And wherever Christ goes, His light illuminates everything that's there. And it's at that point that the believer, you, have a choice to make. You can say, Lord, uh, let me get that door. Let's step out into the hallway here, and I'm going to close this door, yeah, get it good and tight. Now, Jesus, I-, I love you, and I'm so glad you're in my heart home, and you've done so much for me, but I, I just feel like that's my thing. i, I kind of like for that just to be mine, for me. You certainly can do that. Or you have a choice. You can say, Jesus, listen, you want in this room? You can have that room? You can be in whatever room you want to be in. In fact, I fling all the doors of my house wide open. They're all yours to come in and do with whatever you like. In fact, let me give you the deed to the house, it's yours. If you want to be really comfortable, Jesus, if you really want to settle down, why don't I just give the entire house to you? And then you can do with it what you want. Richard Taylor, the great Nazarene theologian, said that his, his, uh, one of the districts in the Nazarene church needed a, a, a campground for a camp meeting, and they f- finally found an acceptable place. And he said, we paid for it. We didn't know anything. It was completely ours. But he said, for a period of about 30 days after we had paid for it, there were tenants from the previous owners still living in some of the buildings. So he said, while we fully owned it, we didn't fully possess it. Christ owns you, believer, but He wants to fully possess you. Have you given him uncontested, unobstructed, unhindered access to every room in your house? You mean my physical house? Well, yeah, that too. But in your heart. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Can't say it any better, so let me just read briefly. Imagine yourself as a living house, and God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing because he's getting the drains right and he's stopping the roof from leaking. And, and you knew all of that needed to be done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, and you have to excuse Lewis's British English here, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. And you ask, what on earth is he up to? The explanation is that God is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being built into a decent little cottage, but He is building a palace because He intends to come and live there Himself. The King of kings is living in our home. He deserves a palace. When you give him the deed to your house, when you say it's all yours, King Jesus, he's going to want to do more than just paint over scuff marks on the wall. He may want to tear down a whole room or a whole section. He may want to start building towers over here and courtyards over there. He's wanting to make you into a palace fit for the king of kings. And Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you so that you would be enabled to give Jesus Christ unhindered access so He can make Himself at home in your heart. Paul says in verse 17 that as believers, they were appropriate and secure dwelling places for Christ to come in and dwell in this way. Because he says in verse 17 that they are rooted and grounded That's their present tense state of grace. As Paul is writing, before they ever receive this letter, before they ever read Paul's prayer for them that Christ would dwell in their hearts, Paul says you are right now, as a believer, rooted like a tall tree and grounded like a tall building. You're you're established in the love of Christ. You know, he does this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It's the same subject matter, different terminology. You probably can quote Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How, Paul? Holy, acceptable to God. No sinner can offer his body to, to God as holy and acceptable because it's not. Only a believer can present His body a living sacrifice, holy. And Paul is saying here, you are the appropriate dwelling place for Christ because you are already rooted and grounded in love. And then Paul prays, verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints. This is the scope of Christ's work. It's for all saints. He prays that with all saints, these believers might comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height and that they might know the love of Christ, Paul says, which passive knowledge. In other words, Paul's praying that they would know something that's impossible for them to know. That's what he says. I'm praying that you might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I'm praying that you might know something that's impossible for anybody to know except those who have opened up every door in their house and now Christ is dwelling in them unobstructed, unhindered. Then you can know the profound depths and heights of the love of God. He's praying, Paul is, that they would be able to understand and experience just how deep, how high, how wide, how long, how profound the love of Christ is. Listen, you may be established in Christ's love tonight as a believer, but He wants you to go deeper. You know that word, know, that you might know the love of Christ? There's another word that you might want to circle. Because, let me me talk about that for a minute. That word means something perhaps more than what we understand. If I were to leave here, and I plan to with my wife on Sunday to head back down to Cincinnati, our home, and if someone were to ask me when I got down there something about, well, do you know Brother Tony? Or do you know Brother Tim? Or do you know the Bells? I would say, yeah. Yeah, I know them. Isn't that right? I know you, right? And if someone were to ask you, hey, do you know that Mark Sankey? If you weren't too ashamed to admit it, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I know him. But do you? Do you? No. You only know what I let you see of me. The kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about, for that, you need to ask this lady right over here. Do you know Mark Sank? She can answer truthfully, yes, I know him. You know why? Because we have experienced love together. We have experienced life together. She has seen me at my worst she has seen me at my ugliest. She has seen me at my sickest. She got the bad end of the deal when she agreed, you know, in sickness and in health. She knows me. That's the kind of knowledge Paul's talking about. It's an experiential knowledge. Paul is praying that as believers, once you allow Christ unhindered access. Give him full control. You've surrendered completely your life and heart, everything to him. It is only then that you can truly experience the profound depths and heights of the love of Christ. Why? Because in that moment you are filled with Christ who is love. You know what it means to be filled with perfect love? It means that no matter how hard you poke the heart, no matter how Far down you dig in the heart of a believer, you'll always find Christ's love. Paul says, I'm praying that you would be able to understand what otherwise is impossible for you to know. The love of Christ. And now he comes to the apex of his prayer. It's taken him a little while to get there, but this is what Paul has been after from the very beginning. In fact, Paul here reminds me of some of those old-time evangelists that my dad had come through the church in Bedford, Indiana when I was just a little kid and growing up. You know what I'm talking about. Some of these old-time evangelists, and I'd sit in the pew while they started preaching. Have you ever seen a jumbo jet take off from a distance? Have you ever seen a big, one of those big planes? And if you're, especially from a distance, if you're watching, you might not even really begin to tell when they when they you know, when they start, it's so slow, right? I mean, they're just, and, and, but if you watch long enough, pretty soon you can see the white lines under the wheels and they're moving a little bit, so you, okay, yeah, I think, okay, I think he's, yeah, he's moving. Keep watching and, and you're looking at the end of the runway and then you look back at that big jumbo jet and you're thinking, I, I don't know if he's going to make it, he, he better hurry. But you keep watching And after a while, he gets up enough speed. And when he takes off, isn't that one of the most majestic, powerful, beautiful sights? Some of those preachers reminded me of those jumbo jets. I thought as a little boy listening, they're never going to get this off the ground. And they took about an hour to get off the ground. But man, when they did, it was powerful. Right? That's what Paul's doing. I'm praying because you are a habitation for Jesus, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you in your inner spiritual man, so that you would allow Christ to make himself at home, dwell permanently, so that you might be able to really experience and know the love of Christ because you're rooted and grounded, so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's it. That's Paul's prayer. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what Paul's praying for? For all of God to be in all of you. All of God in all of you. You say, how so? Well, that you might be filled, that's all of you. What's filled mean? Well, it means filled, right? That you might be filled, all of you, With all the fullness of God. All of God. Paul's prayer, his purpose from the very beginning of the prayer, is that all of God might dwell in all of you. Now, Paul anticipated that there would be some believers who would doubt when they read the letter. You understand that someone had to read these words for the first time, right? Can you imagine being those Ephesian believers? They didn't know a scintilla of what you know. Right? And and nobody knows anything unless they're taught. Right? So we're blessed they didn't know anything, and so Paul's writing to them, and he's praying. He's telling them, I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you so that, so that you might let Christ really, really make himself at home and settle down in your heart so that, so that you might really experience the love of Christ so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And Paul anticipated at least some of those believers saying, I don't know about that. I mean... All of God and all of me? Does Paul know me? Does he know my background? Does he know all of my struggles? Does he know all of my doubts and questions? Does he know all of my follies and foibles and falling? Does he know all of that? Because I don't know if that's that's possible for for that to happen to me. And, And then Paul says, I know that's what you're thinking. Because he goes on to pray this. Not only that you might be filled with all the fullness of God but that he would remind these Ephesian believers that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Paul doesn't want these these believers' faith to waver. He wants their focus and their faith to be on the almighty power of God. When you come to Jesus... To surrender all the rooms in your heart. Paul says, I don't want the focus to be on you. I want your focus to be on the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Hallelujah. Now I've heard this preached and God helped me tonight. In a way that made it sound dangerously close to a works-based theology. And by the way, we don't believe in that. You come down here and you got to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this, right? I mean, the preacher spent an hour telling you all the things you have to do. But when you go to Scripture, for instance, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's talking about all that God's going to do. Holy Spirit's going to strengthen you, right? Right? He's going to strengthen you so that you can know and experience Christ's love, and He wants to fill you with all of Himself. Paul wants your focus and your motivation for seeking a deeper dwelling by Christ to be on the power of God. In Romans chapter twelve and verse one, Paul. What is the motivating factor in Romans 12.1? Paul isn't shaking these believers over the pits of hell, threatening them if they don't present their bodies a living sacrifice. No, he says, by the mercies of God, let the mercies of God motivate you to present your body a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y Completely, entirely. And what is the motivating factor there? Listen to Paul. Faithful is He who calls you who also will do it. Our focus when we come for full surrender is on Jesus' faithfulness, on God's mercy, on His power. The reason, the, Listen to me. The reason why people have struggled over the years for hours and days and weeks and months until some people teach that's the only way you get it, which is a travesty because you can't find one place in Scripture that teaches that. The reason people do is because we've taught them all the things that they have to do before God will get off of you know, His throne and finally do something. We've painted a God to them who's sitting stingily with His arms crossed is that the God that you know? No, this God is a gracious God, a giving God, a God of revelation, a God who loves to communicate, a God who loves to share. You don't have to convince God to do what He wants to do. You say, well, wait, wait a minute. What I have to do something. Well, Paul tells us. hope you didn't miss it. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts By faith. By faith. You say, well, that's too easy. Now you're teaching easy believism there, Mark. I mean, don't get mad at me. Talk to the Apostle Paul. He's the one who said that under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's all right to nod your head and say amen. By faith. How'd you get saved? By faith. Now listen, if you're not not willing to surrender, if you're not willing to just swing the doors open, then there'll be a struggle and it'll, it'll take you a long time. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says you have to struggle. If you're a believer, don't you want what God wants? You have new desires? Lord, if this is what you want, I want it too. By faith. All God is looking for is a surrendered heart and a believing faith, and God will fill all of you with all of Him. In fact, that's the message of Ephesians. Right here in chapter 3, Paul prays that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. In chapter 4, he prays that we would experience the fullness of Christ. And in chapter 5, he prays that we would be filled with the Spirit literally, all of God. In all of us. Anyone hungry? For Jesus to make himself at home. Are you tired of the back and forth. And in and out. And up and down. And struggle and question. Are you, are you just ready to say Jesus. Here I am. I want all of you. In all of me. I want Melody to come to the piano. And I'd like the congregation to stand tonight. I'd like for us to sing a little chorus that you might know as a children's chorus because it is, but I think it fits the scriptures tonight. The little chorus that says, Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, dwell permanently. Make yourself at home. Settle down in. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And while we're singing, if there's anyone here who senses the Holy Spirit drawing or your heart reaching out and saying yes to this scripture, why don't you step out? Come down to the front and let's pray and let God fill all of us with all of Him as we sing this chorus into my heart let's sing it into my heart into
1: my heart come into my heart lord jesus come into
0: to sing it again. I want to pray with someone tonight. I'd love to meet you here and pray. You don't have to convince God to do what He wants to do. If you're hungry, just step out and let's pray together. We'll sing it one more time. Into my heart Yes,
1: into my heart Come into my heart Lord Jesus, come in today, come in today, come in to stay, come in.